0: this is sage talking if your brain is ready to soak up some natural informative and no bs knowledge then you're in the right place join me in talks about nature people health sustainable businesses and everything in between you won't miss out on the occasional politics and interviews with ecopreneurs either p.s i want to know what you want to know so send in questions or topic requests on my ig at thrive underscore by nature hey and thank you for being here Hello everybody, thank you for being here today. If you don't already know yet what the Safe Soil campaign really is about um, and the organization Conscious Planet, then I highly recommend that you check out their website and socials which are all linked down below, just so you get a little bit of an idea what we're talking about here if you don't already know yet.
1: My name is Rohan John Anthony and I'm a social activist based out of India. I'm currently working with this organization called A Growing Culture. So I mostly support a growing culture with research and writing. And uh, most of my work has to do with sort of, uh, you know, exploring foods, the food sovereignty movement a lot deeper. A Growing Culture is a radical storytelling organization. We are fighting for food sovereignty for everyone everywhere. Uh, we strongly believe that food sovereignty is a human right and uh, everyone has the right to healthy, accessible, and culturally appropriate food. Work mostly involves uniting farmers and different peasant and worker struggles across the world and amplifying the voices of peasant and indigenous uh, people uh, and sharing their stories, sharing their cultural values, and just sort of, you know, giving them a platform where we can put forth all the work that's going on in the different movements all over the world.
0: I am very glad that you're joining me today. Um, I... I, as I said, I I read the article and I was like um, very surprised myself. It definitely uh, challenged me to look into that further because, um, you know, the whole safe soil movement has become so prevalent. And a friend of mine actually um, introduced me to it because she was really excited. I think she even uh, interviewed Sadhguru. So, Yeah. And then I read the article and I was like, wow, actually, this (laughs) makes a lot of sense. And I just wanted you to come on to just help me explore this, because I mean, there are so many environmental movements uh, that are very, let's say they paint themselves in this saviorism light and uh, kind of send this message this is the way to save the world, which is obviously, you know, there's not one way to save the world. If there was, you know, that would be great. But it's good to be careful with that. So I'm very interested what you have to tell me today. I have been following a growing co- culture for a while on socials. And the articles on there are amazing. They're well-researched. Um, they continue, I think, because you you learn every day and you can never you, you, you know no, you can never stop learning and for me uh, the the website and all the articles on there are a very valuable source so I'm going to link this down below as well if everybody anybody after this talk is interested in reading more um, I will definitely leave that down below because I think it's a great uh, resource and um, so as I mentioned our topic today is um, Save Soil Won't Save Us, which is the title of the article that you authored or co-authored, I believe. Did you um, write it alone or together with somebody?
1: Uh, I wrote it in collaboration with this other Indian activist called Manpreet Kalda. So both Mm -hmm. of us wrote it together and I led the work.
0: Okay. So... um, (laughs) i i wanted to know what alerted you to research and write about safe soil how did this get your attention why did you and your co-author say okay we we need to write about this um this is something uh, we need to say more about
1: <laughs> yeah uh so i come from india right and uh, it's a country infested with godman and I'm, I'm not really sure if like the global audience will understand the term godman but then Godman, but then in India, it's like a very, very common term, which is, you know, used to describe anyone who is, who claims to have certain spiritual powers or who claims to have a certain hold over their followers, which transcends what a human is capable of doing. And uh, we have, we have a country which is infested with Godmen, and we have, you know, so much religion in here. And there's also a lot of exploitation, uh, you know, in the name of religion. So most of these Godmen, they amass a massive following quite literally minting money through the exploitation of common folk and I have friends and family who who donated like hundreds of thousands of rupees in their savings you know to these godmen or to their organizations or foundations or whatever it is and it's quite scary how much power they hold over even the micro decisions of a household like even the smallest decisions of a household like who gets married or what kind of practices to employ these godmen quite literally dictate all of this in, in through the influence. And uh, because of that, I think Godmen in general are problematic people because uh, they take advantage of the naivety and spirituality of people, especially when it comes to the Indian audience they do. And uh, then there's this whole concept of, you know, this being brought into the global realm where, you know, many people are very spiritual and they want to explore Indian spirituality, but at the same time, they don't know where to start. So then these bigger figures like Sadhguru uh, are at the, you know, at the spotlight of it all. And because of that, Sadhguru has been gaining like immense popularity. He's not just a local or regional level godman. He's become a, like an international level godman. And uh, because he's been gaining so much popularity, and because most people overlook his controversial history and kind of just take his word for gospel, I wanted to mostly focus on the how problematic the narrative that he's spreading is or the narrative that safe soil is spreading is. And uh, because many people might follow him with misconceptions of what environmentalism truly is. And, you know, uh, the movement sort of sets the wrong tone for what sort of change is actually required to combat climate crisis. hugely concerning.
0: Yeah. And um, I have to say, as you said, he has kind of um, become this international you know person of interest in this uh, kind of the the topic of soil health which generally of course is is so so important because without soil uh, we cannot exist on this planet um, but as you said I mean he is he's influenced uh, policymakers he's on big conferences uh, yes. he has traveled over the entire world recently I believe he's also done a tour through Europe and um, there there are stickers everywhere that say save soil um, uh, and uh, so it's it's really incredible how he has you know, with probably a lot of help managed uh, to do that. And you in your article wrote as well that this, you know, the Save Soil uh, campaign has all the elements of a manipulative PR campaign. Could you please define that and um, tell us what you find manipulative about the campaign specifically?
1: Yeah, Uh, so... But the reason I call it manipulative is because, of course, I mean, at the outside itself, it's easy to identify it as a PR campaign, because like we see banners everywhere or in so many different countries, we see people changing their profile pictures and their social media handles, and we see so much buy into the movement. So it's quite literally a PR campaign, because the whole intention is to raise awareness. But, you know, the reason I call it manipulative is because at the surface, it looks very camp- uh, captivating, you know, uh, Sadhguru is this very eloquent speaker. Who appears extremely connected to the earth, but in reality he's just like any other godman, and we've seen like hundreds of these come and go. And he's running another popularity scheme that is ultimately going to make him and his him and his foundation a lot more money. And uh, you know the kind of campaigns which Isha Foundation, which is Sadhguru's foundation, has run in the past have all been quite controversial, and have all been quite literally money-making schemes. So, uh, so this is just a you know, a sort of spiritual successor of many of his other campaigns that he's run in the past. And if you look at just what he's doing right now, he's riding 30,000 kilometers on a motorcycle to take his message to half the world's electorate. And in doing this, like he's trying to raise awareness about soil extinction without really talking about any of the root causes of soil degradation. So what is he actually talking about? It's just, you know, he's talking in the air most, most of the time. And it's not even like, he's talking about who has caused soil degradation. So someone, say like Monsanto, who is the largest uh, you know, the largest pesticide and fertilizer manufacturer in the world. Someone like Monsanto can easily participate in a movement like Save Soil, even though they have contributed to most of the soil degradation. Some of the minority world countries which, uh, which have contributed historically to most of the carbon emissions can easily participate in a movement like Save Soil. There's no question of power or accountability of like, you know, historical wrongs. And that's why I call it extremely
0: manipulative. Mm -hmm. You also said that uh, on the surface, this campaign appears to be dedicated to bringing attention to revitalizing global soil health. In reality, however, it has all the elements of a manipulative PR campaign disassociated from all aspects of social justice and science that fails to address any of the real causes of soil degradation, which you just uh, went into a little bit. could you pinpoint a little these aspects that are missing of social justice and science? When uh, Sadhguru goes around and spread, spreads his message, um, how does he kind of spread it? Uh, which scientific aspects behind that are missing? Uh, how does he, you know, when he speaks to policymakers, how does he uh, bring his message across?
1: Right, yeah. Uh, so uh, the most the biggest problem here is that you know, in the entire messaging of safe soil, there's no question of accountability. There's no question of, uh, you know, initiative taken to sort of right, past or historic wrongs, right? So here in the case of safe soil, it's become like a highly apolitical movement, which is why it's so easy to buy into because soil happens to be like one of the, or at least in the way it's presented is becoming one of the most apolitical issues ever. Like so why is soil degraded? No one knows. What is the cause? What is the effect of soil degradation? Who does it affect? None of these questions are being asked because like, it's just about the fact that soil is degraded. So when we see all these like popular environmental movements coming up today, they're all focusing on like singular issues like soil health, like water management, like carbon footprint. And these are all gaining so much importance today because when they focus on a specific issue, you can sideline all the historic wrongs. You can you can sideline the history, histories of like uh, legacies of colonization, of capitalism, of all the reasons why our soil is degraded in the first place, and in this mm-hmm. way, you allow like everyone to participate without feeling implicated. So your transnational corporates, corporations can participate. The billionaires who built the entire wealth on you know uh, sort of degrading the soil can participate. And in the article also, I write an example of like how movements like Save Soil are very different from movements like Land Back. So why do they choose the word soil instead of land? Because the moment we talk about land, we have to be forced to confront a few questions because we can't ignore those questions without talking about land. Like we have to ask ourselves, you know, who owns the land, who is native to the land? Why is the land redistributed? Or why is the land distributed unequally? Why are the landless people in the first place? I mean, like, were they born landless? in history, like, has there always been a set of landed people and landless people? We have to ask these questions. But when we talk about soil, we can conveniently escape all these questions and we can, like, sort of greenwash the entire issue and just talk about this one specific thing without talking about any aspect of social justice. We don't have to talk about the redistribution of land. We don't have to talk about the reparation to, you know, to indigenous people and to, like, the majority world, the third world, as we call it, all the countries that have been victims of colonization. We don't have to talk about any of that. We can just talk about soil in absence of all of these massive forces
0: yeah, which definitely um is a very big red light. Um and as I as you also mentioned before, um, that Sadguru has now influenced so many people with also a lot of power um and institutions. Um, you know, that makes you wonder what some of these other campaigns are that maybe look very promising and as I said at the beginning, it exude kind of the sense of saviorism um that are presenting a solution to all the world's problems, but then aren't what you thought at first glance so do you have what are then some as you said uh, what Sadhguru did did before similar things with uh, Isha Foundation which are some of the uh, campaigns that he has started before
1: yeah uh, so other campaigns include uh, he has this campaign called Rally for Rivers and another really controversial one called uh, what was it called it was called Kaveri Calling so Kaveri Calling was this campaign that planted uh, around 1.5 billion trees or it was this initiative to plant 1.5 billion trees in the Kaveri Basin. And mm-hmm. this again was extremely problematic. So the reason I say it's absent of science is because all of this is uh, sort of advocating for this monocultural, you know, paradigm of uh, planting where you're just planting trees for the sake of planting trees. You don't know what the effect of planting these trees are. And some of it could be extremely destructive. Yeah, so- definitely there was a huge backlash from like the scientist community and from like adivasi communities adivasis are indigenous people in india the adivasi communities and uh, you know from like local activists and these uh, guys at tisha foundation they just went ahead with it ignoring all of these and illegally doing many of these things they illegally raise funds and these funds are just even you know these massive people like uh, these hollywood celebrities like leonardo dicaprio were one of the prime endorsers of Kaveri calling. And because it's a face of environmentalism like Leonardo DiCaprio, it becomes it's taken a lot more seriously. But then when you get down to the root of it, what do the local people want? What do the indigenous people want? What do the people who've been protecting the environment for like hundreds of thousands of years want? And those are the voices that we must be listening to, not some self-proclaimed godman. And yeah, that's why this entire movement or all his campaigns are extremely problematic.
0: Yeah, and I think that's always the that's always the most neglected question. Uh, as you said, local people, indigenous people, um, that have lived in artisanal ways, um, who who know the land that they're living on and have cared for it and could sustain themselves there without outside uh, intervention for many many years, uh, to come, hundreds of years, and would leave that, um, you know, th- that knowledge and those practices to the next generation. Uh, whereas then when uh, somebody who is um, let's say very uh, famous or, or well known um, as you said that gets a lot more attention so and I, I do really believe that you know many people who engage in this campaign they honestly think uh, you know this is something good I want to I want to support this uh, as you also mentioned in your article some people for them that's their first uh, um the first time getting in touch with let's say quote-unquote environmentalism and issues with the environment and they get excited about it and so obviously um, that's very confusing for some people and they might be exasperated to find out that this isn't what they believed they was so they maybe want to educate themselves and then this you know poses these questions which information uh, can I trust who can I trust and um, they might you know ask now why trust you know Rohan from a growing culture Mm -hmm. you know why listen to his opinion and question a now respected movement like Save Soil so what should we you know look out for when we search for reliable holistic and regenerative organizations and campaigns?
1: Yeah uh, that's a great question and I think uh, it's really important that we do our own research and at a growing culture, we're very uneasy with the idea of certifying movements as truly regenerative or not regenerative. So it's not it's not really like us to you know, call out a movement like Save Soil. But at the same time, there are inherent contradictions in sub-movements that can easily classify them as not so regenerative, or as we like to call it, shallow regeneration. And then there are other movements which are focusing on uh, you know a lot of the things which I talked about, which we call deep regeneration. So... Uh, while we are not, in no way certifiers of who is regenerative or not because these are very very diverse movements all over the world uh, we would encourage everyone to question everything including our work and hold us accountable we would we can only grow through constructive criticism there are movements genuinely trying to make a difference out there but they could you know sometimes overlook some important aspects uh, you know of true regenerative practices so long as they're willing to grow and uh, learn They should be called in, but movements like safe soil are a special breed, you know, they appropriate words like regeneration, like agroecology and so on to co-opt it and use it under, you know, the capitalist system. So, uh, you know, to put it quite simply, there are a few underlying qualities that we ask people to look out for when we talk about like regeneration. And this is where skepticism should come from. Because uh, when we talk about like shallow regeneration or movements like safe soil, we'll notice a few things in similar to most of these movements. And if you see these signs, then probably in, if you see these signs in other movements, then they are probably like shallow regenerative movements. So they're all very, very apolitical, and they do not address the legacies of exploitation and colonization that have deteriorated the environment. They are mostly centered around the participation of like celebrities and influencers and elite groups, not the communities who've been preserving the environment for like hundreds of thousands of years. And, uh, they are also separating, they're also always separating the fight for environmental justice from social justice, from things like land redistribution, from things like cultural preservation. So the moment they are not talking about social justice as a part of, as a part and parcel of environmental justice, that's a red flag in itself. And these, these movements also tend, tend to like intensely focus on a few symptomatic issues like soil or carbon or water. So uh, they are ignoring like, larger systemic inequalities. And they're also shifting the blame to the individual rather than the organization or the collective or the system. And these are all extremely problematic things because as individuals, there's only so much that can happen. And to solve these problems at, at an individual manner, say to reduce your consumption or to uh, or to maybe change your diet, these are very, very limited... Ways of making change, or they have like negligible change. The only true way in which we can bring about change is to shift the system, right? So if we are focusing on individual level change, or if these movements are focusing on pointing fingers at the individual and saying it's your consumption that's the problem, it's your, uh, it's your demand that's the problem, then yeah. it's kind of like it's a sort of I I don't want to use the word gaslighting, but then it's it's also trying to you know completely shift the blame and morally invert the narrative. To you know, point the finger at the at the symptom rather than the problem, and yeah. I think that's what these guys really cleverly do.
0: Yeah, you also um uh, wrote in your article today movements that talk about regenerative agriculture like save soil dominate the environmental discourse, sitting at the epicenter of the cultural appropriation of indigenous environmentalism and Eastern spirituality, and I think um uh you know, appropriation, um, you know, cultural appropriation today is also a term that gets uh, used a lot in certain contexts. So, and I think many people, including myself, sometimes don't really actually at its core understand fundamentally what this means. So could you maybe explain that in your words and um, kind of the cultural appropriation that is going on within safe soil?
1: Right, right. Yeah. So cultural appropriation is basically trying to, uh, trying to basically, uh, you know, use the values of a certain culture or appropriate the values of a certain culture to turn it into something that's profitable or something that benefits, uh, benefits a movement or a campaign or a business or whatever it is. So we see cultural appropriation happen all the time. When, uh, say, when say white people appropriate, uh, appropriate a certain culture from the global South or from the majority world. And these, these forms of cultural appropriation are all around us. If we just look at the kind of practices we have, the kind of clothes that are being worn, say that, uh, say that, like, if, if, uh, Indian kurtas, for example, were being worn by a white person and if they started a company, which is completely appropriating Indian cultures, Indian, uh, Indian traditions and trying to make a profit out of, uh, out of, you know, things which are like quite indigenous in practice, like uh, certain types of clothes a certain type of food, then that would be considered cultural appropriation. So safe soil in this context is, it adds a very special element, which is not really characteristic of most of these environmental movements. And this characteristic is the, you know, is Eastern spirituality or spirituality in general. And because people are so, you know, so closely tied to the idea of spirituality or people, want to be spiritual in some sense, the entire campaign focuses on, you know, the appropriation of Eastern spirituality, they, uh, you know, they sort of dilute the entire idea of the soil, the safe soil movement, or the, you know, the degradation behind soil, by sort of saying that they are apolitical, because we are all equally connected to the environment, and we have all done it equally, equal harm, and we are all equally responsible for, doing right by it and for fixing all the problems that we've created and that's what spirituality allows us to do right so that's a cultural appropriation of spirituality because that's not the spirituality that we should ideally be practicing or that's not the spirituality that many indigenous cultures practice this is the spirituality that an oppressor caste god man from India is sort of putting forth to the rest of the world and Sadhguru has so many followers who are uh, people like you know DiCaprio or you know Bill Smith or Trevor Noah who are all you know, huge, who want him to be their spiritual advisor. And there are all these world leaders who consider Sadhguru a spiritual advisor. So this is the appropriation of spirituality. And it kind of dilutes what spirituality actually means, you know, uh, yeah. and how it's come So the, the people who historically polluted the soil and benefited from it are disproportionately vulnerable to soil degradation, as opposed to peasant and indigenous people who rely on and protect soil. And this spiritual con- connection sort of allows this historical context to be sidelined and everyone can participate in the movement and you know people who built the entire fortunes and exploiting the exploiting the environment can freely participate in the movement without really taking any responsibility for what they've done and that's where cultural appropriation really takes place because they are profiting from you know, changing their brand image and from showing the world that they care more and they're doing something about it.
0: Yeah, and I thank you very much for for explaining that, especially kind of listening to these people who have a lot of pe- popularity and um, who have a lot of money or influence, uh, listening to to them then over as you said, pe- uh, peasants and indigenous communities, you know, who have been warning of soil degradation since, you know, a long, long time, which you also said in the article. Um, so this is kind of Sadhguru here is focusing on this one single thing and kind of saying, okay, you know, I'm giving all of you, which also I think for policy makers and uh, people who want to Uh, paint themselves in this light of being environmentalists uh, is an easy way out to say, okay, we focus on this one thing and one thing only, uh, not on any of the history, as you said, of colonization, of capitalism, and not really addressing systemic issues, but just kind of fixing soil in a monoculture way that may not even really work. You know, you can't just find a way that works also for the entire world, you know. Soil in India right. is different than soil in Italy. You can't just go around no. and use the same method anywhere. So, what kind of here is you know Sadhguru's history with soil and qualification to talk about it and educate on it?
1: Yeah, uh, Sadhguru likes to think of himself as a farmer, but then in reality, he's not really uh, anything. He's just always trying to promote himself as a godman who's tied to the earth in some way. And he's on path to becoming one of the most successful godmen in India for, like, you know, over the last several decades. And his history with environmentalism and his history with soil has always been quite controversial in the sense that he does say a few controversial things about, you know, uh, about certain things which he claims to be scientific, but then they're actually pseudoscience because many of these things have been proven to be wrong. And he's launched a lot of these environmental campaigns in the past, like I mentioned about Kaveri calling in rally for rivers which have completely ignored what scientists in adivasi communities have been saying and they've also been conducted in a blatant violation of laws so Sadhguru does not have the best history with uh, with any with with soil or with environmentalism in general and actually they are quite hypocritical because they have been they've built their empire on the profits from you know indigenous people and from uh, from like environmental movements and Isha Foundation is probably one of the most profitable non-profits in the country. They make crores of rupees on these campaigns, on the donations, so-called donations coming from people who use their services. Most of these are illegally collected. Adding to this, the, the Isha Foundation campus, which is uh, based in uh, Coimbatore in India, it is it was completely constructed in a violation of rights and laws. It's constructed at the heart of an elephant corridor. And... It's encroaching indigenous Adivasi land. And it's been a huge problem because it's it's massively heightened the man-animal conflict in that area. And because of this, a lot of the people, indigenous people there, have suffered a lot. And he's just he's just encroached this forest area and he's just done whatever he wants, circumvented the entire law, had the judiciary and the police department and the forest department all side him and sort of brush aside the case. And he's done this all without any sort of accountability, and he still claims to be a person of the soil of the earth, and it's just quite, it's quite ridiculous. And he's also, you know, notoriously known for uh, promoting his pseudoscience. If just because he says everything in an eloquent way, he's found to be credible. But if you have fact-checker investigating Sadhguru, you'll find the things he says like far less reliable than any random Wikipedia page.
0: This goes seamlessly into the next thing I, I actually wanted to include here because then I, I went uh, through the Safe Soil Socials and as you said, the pseudoscience and uh, Sadhguru kind of explains everything, as you said, in a very eloquent way where you would listen to him and say, wow, like, yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. It, it all sounds pretty good. But I found this one video which really, um you know, made me think, wow, this is really not holistic. This is really not backed by science. It leaves out so many important facts and as you said, there's, there is a lot of misinformation in there. Actually, there was this video uh, where Sadhguru explains why cow dung is more valuable than milk. <laughs> um, and I'm quoting him here. He said, this soil you cannot enrich with anything in the universe. You cannot bring material from Mars or space and enrich this. Only plant life and animal life can enrich this soil. If these two things go away, there is nothing left. Right now, they're talking about some 830 million cows or something in the country, which I'm presuming he meant India. Um, yeah. And I actually looked it up and I think it said something there were about 330 million cows. Um, so I'm not sure which is correct here. He said, these cows, you may feed and keep it because they're giving milk. That's not the important point. Milk is good for you. I appreciate this is a milk district. Sir, the cow dung is more valuable than the milk because it has to go into the soil to keep the soil alive once this is gone sir you cannot revive the soil you cannot revive this country he was talking uh, to to um probably he was talking to a person uh, i believe in india who was um, working in a milk district who obviously had dairy cows and i think these statements are so yeah. very problematic because first of all it is proven that cow's milk is not good for you generally since most people are actually lactose intolerant because it's not natural for people to drink milk from another species even less drinking milk throughout adulthood because um, as you probably know most people um, as do mammals stop producing the enzyme uh, lactase which breaks down the sugar in the milk after weaning off it because we're not supposed to drink milk our whole life and um, you you know I mean many uh, studies have also found that high consumption of dairy has been linked to an increased risk of heart disease type 2 diabetes alzheimer's as well as certain types of cancer and there is also the the chairman of bana's dairy featured in the video who clearly has an interest of keeping cows around for business and he said there that i'm quoting him here cow dung can be the basis upon which the entire planet can regenerate life Sadhguru's vision is perfect it's a vision for earth it's a vision for soil so this plan here from a person who is obviously has his own personal vested interest in the dairy industry as the chairman of Bana's Dairy. Uh, you know, if the plan is here keeping hundreds and millions of cows around and to turn the dairy industry, which the the agricultural industry, including the the animal industry, is one of the most destructive polluting industries on this planet yeah. so he's kind of just saying Sadhguru's vision is perfect we're keeping this industry and turning it into a cow dung industry instead of harvesting or you know uh, ripping their their kids away from them to take their milk so now we're taking their cow dung instead and we're championing this <laughs> as a solution to the earth's soil degradation and this is the only way to preserve and restore soil everywhere and i find this incredibly problematic so this video uh, if i find it i will link it down below as well because anybody who also knows a little bit about uh, you know health and uh, a-, a diet in general you know saying he can- sad guru can appreciate that milk is good for you that for one, is not correct. So that was really something where your article sparked me to look into this much more and uh, do some more research. And um, I I really have to say your article uh, made me question so many more other uh, foundations and movements that look, you know, so... Yeah, that looks just so trustworthy. But if you do a little bit of research, you can find many, many red lights. But, um, you know, thank you for doing that in your research, because this can really, you know, just give another push and kind of alert you. It kind of keeps, I find your mind awake to say, OK, don't, you know, trust everything continually, always do your research and never, never kind of get tired and get, you know get lazy and just believe what you read
1: yes yes absolutely absolutely and i think there's always the illusion like it's very easy for a godman to establish credibility just because of a status and that's what is so dangerous here the fact that just because Sadhguru is saying something if you heard this from some any, any other person you'd probably question it but then because it's Sadhguru and because he's been given such a big status by people by you know international authorities he becomes this he's elevated to the status of God, and because of which he can like circumvent law he he's just heard by everyone and never questioned and I think it's really really problematic to put people on a pedestal like that because yeah. the moment you do then you're feeding into the illusion and you're just you're just going to be one of the blind followers who are not questioning a certain a single thing about the movement
0: yeah and i and I also want to know because I have before that never heard of Godman before and I this is I don't think this is something that really actually exists in that form in in Europe specifically and so do you think that more people are aware in in India because obviously that's a thing there maybe it's something that's even originating from there so do you think people are generally aware that behind many of these campaigns there could just be you know self-proclaimed God man? Because I think this may also be then a little extra tricky if Sadhguru comes, uh, you know, to other, you know, Western countries or to Europe where people generally don't know that God yeah. even exist.
1: Right, right. Yeah, it's, it's really dangerous. And in India, like uh, as much as it should be driving people away, because we've seen so many of these examples, it actually brings a lot of people together. And like, for some reason, it's always some some sort of cult following and even like uh, no one questions these godmen and everyone sort of uh, everyone sort of elevates their image and everyone is praising them and worshiping them in some way or the other and these people claim to sometimes claim to have paranormal powers the ability to heal to influence future events the ability to read minds and when it reaches an international sphere and when you know someone of a godman status becomes say an advisor to uh, an influential figure it becomes extremely like controversial or it becomes really really dangerous because they are quite literally influencing future events right just by their spiritual guidance and yeah in India we've seen that so many of these godmen have you know swayed votes and sort of aligned votes to the current fascist government and it's really really scary how many of these Hollywood celebrities and many of these world figures are also buying into the same thing just because He's seemingly spiritual and because he claims to have certain powers.
0: Yeah, that's so crazy. I mean, this is really something that I've never heard of before, which probably many <laughs> Europeans will not yeah. have heard of either because I don't really... uh <laughs> This may be also something interesting to do research on if there's something that yeah. can compare to that in Europe. Um But yeah, and at this point, um, you know, you often mention uh, indigenous communities indigenous knowledge uh, knowledge um you know and um just the 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 importance of, of local people and people who are living in certain areas to say okay um they know the land they work with the land let's listen to them what what do they have to say um the ones who depend on certain you know natural environments for their livelihoods directly not just indirectly as as many people you know in industrialized uh, western countries so at this point um I also just want to you know pay my respects for all the indigenous communities and peoples out there protecting over 80% of the earth's biodiversity and I think it's really important um that you also at a growing culture always highlight this because um as you said I just want to stress this again I think it's so um, frustrating to see again and again that people just have a a high status in society because of money because of fame uh, because of whatever they're doing and also you know politicians um yeah and so on are just getting this recognition and are just listened to so much more. And, and, and people keep just circling around these same problems, you know, as sitting around tables, pretending to find some solutions that at the end it would be much simpler to just try and resolve these things and uh, and work at them at local levels with traditional indigenous uh, knowledge and really listen to the people who are actually on the land with the land still protecting the land and who are you know the reason Probably that uh, the world has not ecologically collapsed yet because they're fighting every day for all of us to kind of keep keep earth and to keep nature uh, alive and and healthy. So I think it's really good that you stress this at um a growing culture. and um it's, yeah, I think it's it's a shame that we kind of uh, have these this kind of skewed, uh, vision um, of, of what we're seeing in this world and I think the focus uh, should be on on something very different
1: for sure for sure and I think it's very important also here to take note of the fact that you know these when we talk about environmentalism it can't be a movement like it's it's impossible to talk about environmentalism as a top-down movement and I think you hit you hit the head of the nail earlier when you said that you know the soil in Italy is different from the soil in like India or whatever, because it's it's so important to understand that, you know, the environment and the ecosystem in so many different places are like so, so massively different and so profoundly different. And they're so diverse in their own ways. So you can't really generalize, generalize the entire earth or all these ecosystems and say, okay, fine, it requires one solution. It has to be a bottom-up, bottom-up, it has to be a bottom-up, bottom-up uh, local solution, which is led by the people who been preserving the soil and preserving the environment, and if it's not, if it's not any of these things, then it's not a holistic solution. It's not a solution at all because it's just a, it's just propagating the entire thing, everything that capitalism already does, which is a monocultural, a single blanket solution to all of our problems. Which is, the problem is that they've been generalizing everything and they've been giving us blanket uh, solutions or blan- blanket, uh, you know, uh, sort of projects which are which have failed in so many regions and we have to localize these problems we have to take them from bottom up we have to we have to completely change the control to present indigenous people otherwise there's no point in you know talking about environmental issues we can't address most of the problems that are happening
0: thank you so much for coming on
1: thank you so much thank you so much for having me in the space Stella.